Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. Big, big episode 150. My name is Joe Hilliard, and of course I'm joined as always by Dave Gurney and Carlos Cooper. And let's just begin the celebration. 150 episodes. Yeah. Davis, take us on a beer journey, please. Okay, I, I'm happy to do that, and, I, and we have a fun journey, I think, this evening. Uh, this is going to be a series of beers, uh, not, not that we don't always have some sort of series, but this is a series of connected beers. Uh, folks may recall, about a year ago, we were sampling some of the Black is Beautiful series that uh, was being brewed by various uh, breweries throughout the country who jumped on this Black is Beautiful initiative that was started by Weathered Souls out of San Antonio, Texas, um, to, to sort of um, celebrate the black community and, and put some money into some organizations that, uh, that could maybe help those folks, um, or organizations that were targeted at helping those folks. And what we're doing here is, is a slightly different series that was launched this year called Things We Don't Say. This was uh, put together by Eagle Park Brewing, which they're based out of Wisconsin, but very close to Illinois, where there is an organization called, uh, let me see, I just had it, something for the day. Ah, all right. And as I'm looking for that, I'm, <laughs> I had it. Oh, my gosh. Um, but what I'll say is that what they're trying to do, May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And they were trying to bring awareness to this thing that we don't talk about, right? Mental health, very often. And so, I mean, we are kind of a silly podcast and, and all that. And I certainly don't want to put a damper on that. But I do just want to take a minute to say this is a serious issue. And part of their thought with this series was let's get people in the craft beer community talking about these things. Um, because that's a group of people, a community that we feel like don't have a full... Um, a great comfort level with talking about mental health and mental health awareness. And it's something that I think we talk about somewhat openly on the show. I know we've talked about therapy and we've talked about um, our own sort of personal anxieties and stresses and things that put us off. So I think, you know, in the spirit of that, I was excited that this series was coming. I was able to get my hands on six different what? iterations of this. <laughs> yeah. So so we're going to be sampling throughout the episode a, a series of these. We I don't know if we'll get to all six. Maybe one or two will have to go to after hours. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but I'm going to start us off. These are all IPAs. So the base recipe was an IPA, much like the base recipe for the Black is Beautiful was a stout. Um, they're aiming for about a 6% ABV IPA. There was a recipe that folks could work from, but they were also encouraged to get creative. And in this case, um, the first one we're going to have is actually the lowest APB. I figure we'll start low and we'll kind of work our way up. And this one is just under the six. It's at 5.9%. It's from a brewery that we're familiar with, The Brewing Project. We've mm, had yeah, a, yeah. quite a few over our, uh, over our time as a podcast. So we're going to get to try something new from them here with this hazy IPA that they're saying has cashmere, azaka, and Eldorado hops in it. So I'm going to go ahead and get that open and start pouring it. And as the episode goes on, probably in the midst of talking about films, you'll dispense. We may open another one. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Um, so it's Nicholas Cage. 
We're back in the cage. Back in the cage. We did it on our 100th episode, which if you haven't listened to our 100th episode, I'm going to say you should go back and listen to our 100th episode. Most certainly, yeah. That was how how do we... Landmark. How do we properly... What's the word I'm looking for? Celebrate this Celebrate auspicious 100 episodes. Yeah. We do three Nicolas Cage movies. We each got to bring one to the table. Prior to that, we had done Mandy back in episode 17. Yes. And then we weren't classic. cage versions. No. Since no. then, we uh, we did adaptation as a companion to. That's right. Um, I'm thinking of it, or not? I'm thinking. I'm thinking of, of ending is, things. Is yeah. Ending Episode one hundred and six. So back to one hundred and fifty. What do we do? It's a nice round episode. Yeah. Yeah. As any landmark on this show will be commemorated by one hundred and fifty. <laughs> we're back in the cage, and. Literally at any time of the year, there probably is a new Nicolas Cage movie coming out because yeah. he does about fifteen films a year. Uh, <laughs> He's averaged four films a year since two thousand twelve. Yeah, he does a lot of movies. Yeah. Dense, um, dense, dense worker. Yeah, hardworking guy. Not great with money. <laughs> uh, by all accounts, notoriously I mean, horrible yeah. with money. Yeah. I don't. I don't know the man, Nick. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I'm uh, if I'm out of pocket right now, but. Like you know, I feel like he would have a good sense of humor about it. I would like to think so. Yeah. Uh, he, can't, he can't be too upset with us. This is his, our, his sixth and seventh <laughs> film that we are eager and yeah, excited to talk about. I wonder if... Joe, if you can run the numbers on this. Go ahead. <laughs> have we talked about any single art, artist of more any kind? Than, more oh, than wow, Nick Cage? That, I don't think phew. we have. That would uh, take some, some deep data. That would take uh, some data. deep number crunching. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, because it is any given month of the year, there is a new Nicolas Cage film to be to be viewed. Relatively uh, new, yeah. Yeah, relatively yeah. new. Oh, and we came, kicked it around when it came out a few months ago. Uh, yeah, it came out in... Uh, How do we do this? Technically, I guess, in February. Yeah. Um, and it, But it hit... Played theaters played initially. The, yeah, but it but it hit Hulu uh, about a month ago, was mm-hmm. it? Maybe? Something around there. Um, so now you can all watch it on Hulu if you're a Hulu subscriber. Sure, it's rentable on VOD, but I'm talking about uh, Willie's Wonderland, uh, and I mean, what to say? Directed by Kevin Lewis, who I know this is not his first film, but he's definitely not one of those uh, people whose name we would be intimately familiar with. Does he have a screenplay by G. O. Parsons? Try okay. to get, try to give out. a synopsis, Carlos. Where when you're done with it, I don't go, huh? <laughs> because uh, that was my reaction when I saw the trailer when we, you know, what? Yeah. So, okay, so and this movie stars Nicolas Cage alongside mostly unknown actors, Beth Grant being the only exception who has something like 220 something credits on her IMDb. Yeah, she's been she's in a one ton of those. Of yeah, if you see her face, you've you seen her a lot. You recognize her yeah. and you're like, "What? She's one of those people that's been in so many things that it's, you're like, "What is it's it?" It's true. That I she her from? she has that sort of omnipresent supporting yeah. actor presence that yeah. you, you see her, you know. I mean, she was in Speed, she was in Child's Play 2. Kylie she, noticed <laughs> her right away. Donnie Darko. Yeah, I kind of recognized her. I was like, well, I, I recognized her from somewhere, and she was Dwight Schrute's babysitter in The Office, which okay. where, where there, Kylie had yeah. the connection. She gets um, she gets a fair amount of dialogue in this. She does, she does. Um, but yeah, mostly the only star power being Nicolas Cage. Um, okay, so the synopsis. What... Uh, let, me, let me do my best <laughs> nutshelling here. Uh, Nicolas Cage is a guy who finds himself stranded in a small town because all four of his tires are blown. Right. And 
he is somewhere that doesn't have internet and totally at a garage that doesn't accept debit cards no atm cash only he doesn't happen to just be carrying casually a thousand dollars in cash on him uh so he's offered a deal that if he uh for whatever reason it's overnight but um does some light cleaning in this amusement park that they're quote unquote trying to reopen then well, don't, the amusement park the, may not be actually like no, a no, no, Chuck E. Like Cheese. Cheese sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a Chuck E. Like Cheese. an arcade you're right, you're pizza right. place. Arcade yeah. restaurant pizza place. Yeah. Amusement park was, was not right. Um, thank you for catching me on that. And if he does that, when he comes out in the morning, uh, his car will be ready to go. And the, the guy, guy who, who owns, owns the, place the restaurant will have paid, will have the, paid yeah. yeah. And have it ready for him as he comes out. And, when the janitor, who is the character name for Nicolas Cage's character, and this is the janitor, mm-hmm. when he gets into the place, pretty within about an hour or so, he realizes that there is uh, something wrong with the animatronic puppets <laughs> uh, that are like the mascots for the, the house band. The house yeah, band, yeah. yeah. Um, and he has to kill them all <laughs> in order to survive the night. Um, he's not trapped in there with them. They are trapped in there with him. The, yes, as one of the other characters says. Yeah. Yeah. And as and and then we learn. I mean, that's the basic setup. Yeah. Is that he is that these possessed animatronic puppets are trying to kill him, and he has to kill them in order to survive. Because he's locked in. Because he's locked in. Yeah. He, well, he finds out after killing the first one that attacks him. The it attacks him and says, "I'm gonna eat your fucking face" or whatever. Yeah. And then he beats it to death. Uh, when he tries to take the trash out, he realizes that he's locked right. in a place and that he can't escape. Um, and I mean, that's it. It's a, uh, a dead by dawn style. Um, well, then there's a crew of teens or, that know the whole story who are hell bent on destroying the place who break in. And now you've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's one, which moral is more of like a sub, in the bunch. A and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, but but they become the expendable bodies, right? For, right. for yeah. this to be a slasher film, we need kills. Yeah, and, and so and, they provide and just the kills. killing the puppets isn't going to cut no, it for the slasher not at all. crowd. No. And and you know you get this, you know. I mean, they are given names and their names are used, but they're like you know. Um, like the cabin in the woods formula of like the bimbo, the virgin, the jock, yeah, you know, like right. they are basically those archetypes. There's a few more. There's not just five of them. I think there's six. Um, so a little different than the traditional cabin in the woods model, but, um, and I mean cabin in the woods, is the genre, not the film, but, uh, but basically fit into all of these archetypes and play these kind of cartoonish versions of what, you know, these teenage groups consist of. And, but yeah, like Joe said, led by the moral crusader. So so that's actually, I mean, the film starts with Nicolas Cage glaring. He's got this kind of look on his face as he's driving his mm-hmm. Camaro very fast. Mm-hmm. And But other than that, I mean, the first, like, I think the, what, the biggest thing you would consider a narrative piece is the moral crusader leader of the teenage group trying to burn Willie's Wonderland down yeah. only to be stopped by the sheriff who is her adopted mother we right. realize later and she and so then so that's like the kind of what pushes the narrative forward because Nick 
Cage by himself, the janitor, is not doing a lot narratively. He's drinking energy drinks, he's playing pinball, <laughs> he's fucking up robots. And so there's not a lot of plot going on with him. Yeah. So the teenagers kind of move the plot forward. And so the first time that we really see a motivation from any character, really, other yeah. than like him wanting to get his car back, which is like super base, like, you know, whatever, yeah. is these kids. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when they realize that, or they know that someone's in there, they won't, they want to save them. And so the girl goes, this whole thing. But, right. um, when this movie started, I'll get straight into it because I mean that's the plot. Yeah, essentially, yeah, I mean sure. we, we'll get into more of the granular stuff as we sure. go. Um, when this movie started, you know he's by himself at first, right? He's just driving, and the thing happens, and then the tow truck guy shows up, and he's just kind of like glaring at the tow truck driver, and then uh, the guy who owns Willy's Wonderland shows up, and the tow truck driver's like, "Oh, he don't really talk much," and. I I think maybe 10 minutes in, I looked at Kylie and I was like, I hope that Nicolas Cage doesn't say a word in this movie. I hope you he got goes your wish. the entire film without saying a word. And I didn't think that that would happen. Lo and behold, this man does not utter a single line I of know. dialogue for the entire hour and 28 minutes or whatever that this film goes on. And I loved that. <laughs> it is pure. I mean, because look. It's commitment. We're talking about a guy who refers to himself as the California Klaus Kinski. He's really into this German expressionist type oh, yeah. of thing with these big cartoon. Not, he wouldn't use the word cartoonish, I don't think. But these very uh, theatrical well, facial he makes, expressions. He makes very bold choices. You He's know what I mean? He's always been a man who he makes bold choices. He commits to bold choices. Yeah. yeah. And, now this is a script I mean, we've situation, about not a Nicholas Cage situation. Sure, yeah, or or, or freakouts, or, yeah. or or you know, rants. screens, right? Yeah, and what we love about him is that sure. he commits. I mean, that's what makes him so exciting to watch. Is that you never know exactly what he will do and what he will commit to, but you know that whatever choice he makes, no matter how outrageous it may seem to us. He's all in, yeah. and he's not going to falter. He's not going to drop the accent like Scarlet Witch or something like that. He's not going to, like falter he is an all-in type of guy in and response, he's all in in this one in, repo- in response to your plot synopsis carlos what <laughs> <laughs> um and that is the response when you watch the trailer it's got to be more than this it has to be and uh then but you begin not. watching the film and there's a there's an opening scene that kind of lets the audience wow. know what nicholas cage is getting into where two strangers are being pursued by what we are assume are willie and his friends the animatronic puppets from the defunct Chuck E. Cheese um, type restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when Nicolas Cage shows up and you begin, you know, they, they treat it like you would imagine to be treated. In the background, a character moves, but Nicolas Cage does not see that. Right. Or uh, we see a, char- a character is there, we cut away, we cut back, the character is no longer there, etc. And then so Nicolas Cage's first two kills, correct me if I'm wrong, the second one is the gorilla I think, which happens in the restroom. In the restroom. When, the, which, when he uses a plunger on the animatronic yeah. gorilla. I've I've never seen anything as impressive as how clean he got that bathroom. Oh, that was amazing. It there was, was some great cleaning in this film. There was some incredibly right. satisfying cleaning. Yeah. In a way that I... It's not something I ever thought I wanted in a movie. It's like... But it, it's it's the way people get satisfaction out of Dr. Pimple Popper. You know? Sure. Like, that's... Sure. Or, or close-ups close ups of food in a food-based movie. Or, yeah, like, right. I watch a lot of videos on Facebook of people well. His job is to clean, and they do do and a lot does of it. close-ups with him in the Windex and a, and a Well, ride. and it's fantastic. Uh, but, but, and and yeah. the shirt. He's very committed to wearing a clean 
Willy's Wonderland branded shirt. Well, in and there's film. just enough stacked there's in that just supply closet. So it's there, incredible. There's a whole satanic ritual uh, aspect to this as to there, why they, the right. animatronic uh, have these powers. How and why, they became possessed. Right. Why these sacrifices, which we learn the entire town is on, is in on uh, sacrifices overnight. Um, this is trying to give a few threads to an otherwise kind of threadbare situation, which is animatronic puppets at an old Chuck E. Cheese trying to kill Nicolas Cage overnight. I mean, that's, you yeah. know, that's the, that's the plot synopsis. And you, uh-huh. you, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. So what is there? There's a, a, a situation would... where he has to drink an energy drink on a timer. Yeah, he uh, drinks one every hour. Well, and it's like his ball. breaks. He's, yeah, you know his what I mean? Like, watch timer alarm goes off, and he has to stop whatever he's doing, even if it's killing one of these e- guys. Even if he's an attack is about to happen, sure. he will walk away. To and, go yeah, drink yeah. his energy drink. And then during the course of the film, as he cleans up the Willie's Wonderland pinball machine, he typically does it at the pinball machine. I bring all of this, these scenes up, these repeated scenes of him at the pinball machine going nuts, drinking his energy drink, to say this. Here's where you get some... I imagine Nicolas Cage asked for this. I want to be shown repeatedly dance so I can dance and yell and punch my fist and be Nicolas Cage in this. Well, he is largely responsible for this film getting made. I mean, I don't know if you read a ton about it, but it came from... There was a short film, right? Or a short script? Uh, the way that... this The article that I read about it was Geo Parsons... Um, was doing this like he he was trying to like make it as an actor or whatever doing theater stuff blah 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 whatever and they're like this is theater it's a one time thing like if you really want to like ascend to a higher like tier or like advance your career you have to make a movie because that's permanent you know mm-hmm. people can watch that so he started um making or he started writing this script based on some like little details from his childhood or whatever um, but Nicolas Cage was given the script and he was like, yeah, let's do it. And so he took it to all of these places to get it financed. And every time people were like, that's it. And he was like, yeah, I know, but that's, that's, a, that's all it needs to be. And yeah. he like really championed this idea of it being simple yeah. and being just like a romp and fun or whatever. And so whether it didn't say anything about him rewriting things but it did say that he was supposed to talk at the end. Oh, okay. And he ultimately he nixed that. He just yeah. The director and the writer, Kevin Lewis and Geo Parsons, were the original line when he kills Willie, like when right before he kills Willie, is "Come at me, bro." And then <laughs> I'm glad they did. I'm yeah. really glad they didn't do that. But because and and they, and they didn't do it because Lewis and Parsons were going back and forth, and they're like, "Well, if he's only going to have one line of dialogue, it it's has to be, be iconic." Line. Yeah, you yeah. know. And they went back and forth. I'll and be back, back from and forth. Terminator level. Yeah, cannon. yeah. Come no, at me, bro. It would, is not it's it. not that no. And so eventually, Cage was like, like "Don't uh, fuck with my tires." I don't <laughs> yeah. Know, eventually, Cage was just you know kind of push them in the direction that's the of like, last no. of my goodwill <laughs> like no like let's let's just keep them quiet the whole time and let's just let it all be you know body language and facial expressions and just grunts and stuff yeah. and um i don't remember how i got off on this tangent but i think what i was trying to say is that he, I think he championed the idea of it being really simple and eventually sure. got someone on board to finance. Well, I knew that he... Yeah, yeah I, d- I didn't read anything as in-depth as what you're describing. I knew that it was a a short film script 
that was put out online and people were kind of buzzing about it because they thought it was funny. It was a great concept. There's another, there's like a horror game franchise called Five Nights at Freddy's. Yes. That I read, yeah. Sort of has a very similar concept yes. of the animatronics mm-hmm. at a Chuck E. Cheese like restaurant right. going haywire and attacking and killing people. The article I read didn't um, mention that. So there was like this kind and of. And there was a movie in production. I think there is, and yeah. I think there still is, yeah. Like a, you know, so anyway, so there's like precedent for it as a conceptual thing to have this idea that these animatronics, and even before that, you think about, you know, Westworld or these other, you know, the Simpsons uh, parody of Westworld, you sure. know, like these ideas of these, you know, animatronic figures coming to life or taking on some kind of life of their own and then deciding to kill people and what, you know, the dangers of technology. Now, I don't think this is going for anything as heady as Westworld. Certainly not. Certainly not. Where Westworld has gone as a series, uh, you know, sure. since. But but it is, you know, a you premise. You think it's going for anything that heady, David? <laughs> no. Um, I mentioned the satanic plot, right? Yeah. Okay. You, which you I did. Which, oh, which I was almost surprised that they even tried to explain anything. Oh, they had to explain it. They yeah. had to explain Well, they did something. enough to, to make it make sense why the teenager or the girl was so compelled well, why to Why is this happening? To... Why is there a haunted yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. old Chuck E. Cheese type place in the right. middle of rural wherever they were? I forgot. Yeah. 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 They have to explain it. And look, I you know I think he was the worst serial killer in the Northeast or whatever the line. I I think that, and I think they did a good job of doing enough for it to kind of for it to kind of make sense and be like, okay, I get it, but not trying to do too much where it got like. I feel like I feel like there's a fine line between not doing enough where the audience is confused and then doing too much where the audience is fully like no this is not believable. Yeah. And there's that middle ground uh of like brevity and kind of lightheartedness where it's like all right, I'm in, I'm in, fine, let's yeah. go, you know, where uh, where I think this lives and I think it achieves that really well. And then I also think that bringing in the teenage girl leader character's mm-hmm. backstory was nice because I didn't think I wasn't thinking about that. Like I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about anything right. in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. But when that it happened, I was like, job, "Oh, that's good." They, yeah, that's they tried good. to do a full circle thing. They could have left that out, and it would have been fine. I wouldn't have been mad or whatever. But it was just like a little added something extra. I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a nice touch. I like. Yeah, that. I like that." Uh, she needed a motivation, and she honestly. Of all the performances in the film, maybe aside from Nick Cage, I was impressed with her. I was too. I thought, was I thought yeah, she was she actually, was good. which to me, a character that probably a lot of performers could have delivered in a way that I would have felt like, oh, this is kind of flimsy. I didn't feel that way. No, she, she, I, so I think, did justice to the role. However, you know, justice for that would work, but. I believed it, and and I was, and I cared about her more so than the other teenagers, which were probably even more poorly written, more stock character types that, you know, they didn't really need to do anything, but they also weren't doing anything. Yeah, you know, you go to the super happy fun room to have sex, and then it's like nothing else, you know, like, yeah, sure, there's an animatronic puppet there, but we're not going to think about that. We're boning right now. Like, you know. No, let him watch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's put on a show for him or whatever he says. I mean, like, you had to have something like, you know, like it fits into all of the slasher movie kind of, you know. But is there delivery on any of them? It fits into all of it is there delivery on any of it i don't find the kills great the animatronic creatures aren't interesting it it, at the end of the day this movie might have been saved with a larger budget but Mm. the the the, the local yokel shit ass characters 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, they just were just this stupid, you know, stereotype. I, I, I mean, five I, million me, dollars. Yeah, for me, what saved it? I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna say that I love this movie. I don't, I don't think this is a movie people need to rush. And I can't see recommend on, this on movie. Hulu, but I will. Uh, I, I do, I do recommend it to folks who love Cage. That's right. You're right. Who like goofy horror films, uh-huh. and if the and and certainly anybody who already has interest in this like Five Nights at Freddy's kind of milieu of like the idea of a and I get it because there is this now I didn't grow up with Chuck E. Cheese so I don't have that kind of nostalgic sort of connection tinged with the weirdness of oh yeah I remember that time my drunk uncle brought me there and I got <laughs> hurt on the you know slide or whatever and broke my arm and so i have like both love and hate for this thing which i think a lot of people do (laughs) i mean honestly i think the success of five nights at freddy's the success of this to whatever extent it has been successful i think a lot of it is wrapped up in kids who have that kind of weird mixed emotional response or kids who have now grown Mm -hmm. who are like this was both the most exciting place on earth to go and also the creepiest, weirdest, yeah. like where I went there once when I was 13 and I saw somebody getting finger banged in the booth and it freaked me <laughs> the fuck out, right? I mean, like... Oh, you were there when I was there? Yeah, right. Oh, okay. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, I feel like it's a place that's ripe for that kind Dude, of off-color mix uh, of... After-hour stories. Yeah. <laughs> after hour, for real. Because so, I don't know I, how and you I came apologize, up with that. Listeners, being, I apologize, listeners. I, I don't know, did not expect myself to use finger no, bang. Forget the finger bang. That was a joke. I'm going along with your bit. But okay. you, I don't know how you so accurately detailed that having not gone up at Chuck E. Cheese because it's not worth getting to now. After hours, it might be the idea of I was at the sweet spot when the local Chuck yeah, E. Cheese because, opened, and these animatronic f- characters yeah, were it. I right. mean, that's exactly what it was. The closest we had, we had a couple like family restaurants that yeah. would have like a seating area with like a move, a big screen, right. and popcorn and stuff. And so I can remember those kind of places. None that had animatronics. For me, when I was a kid, because we didn't have a Chuck E. Cheese, right. so that so that didn't happen. But I but, but I get this. But, but that threat is so like the satanic idea elevates it to where they they're supernatural clearly because they're yeah. alive. But yeah. I guess they've got super strength and and the the fairy character. They're not based on anything real, so I have to kind of. Right. If she had a name, I don't remember what it was. Uh, the fairy character is acrobatic, and that is a threat. Yeah. But the other ones are just. Siren Sarah. Right. I mean, yeah. he, he dispatches them pretty easily. I'll give them points for, instead of blood splatters, it's oil splatters. Yeah. As if it were blood, I enjoyed that touch. I mean, there was a little bit, there were some enjoyable touches in here, but him going mono to mono on these things was a pretty quick dispatch. And then they got, you're right, with the teens, they were able to do a few, slash them up, you know, yeah. if you like your gore, handled that way, then that might have impressed yeah. you but that it's happening with these stupid animatronic characters to me devalues well the whole thing. I'll, I'll tell you what worked for me so that so again i'm i'm th- this is getting a you know a solid i don't know whatever three 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 out of maybe four stars if we're doing a star scale kind of thing but with the asterisk of be a cage fan and be a fan of the slasher genre to some extent and what i think works is I, you're right joe like him killing these animatronics relatively early you realize he has no problem dispatching these things there's no real threat to him he he gets a scratch on except for the element of surprise right um but he's like you know whatever he has super abilities to be able to just kill things and 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 we never see it tested on humans but he can kill these animatronics very easily and so that kind of becomes repetitive but then there's like I don't know. There's something wonderful about how they just, you know, Carlos said at the beginning, he just commits to this character 
doesn't utter a word, grunts a little bit, groans a little bit at, from time to time. Love that he takes those breaks when the timer goes off, plays the pinball, whether or not there's well, something else going on in the background that he should be attending to. He'll, you know, and, he just goes the, right in. And there's a scene we have to talk about. I mean, the dance scene. Yeah, well, talk about it. It's amazing. It's electric. <laughs> Fully improvised by Cage. Uh, yeah. It is exactly what the movie needed at that exact time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it we could have it could have gotten stale if he just kept playing just pinball like normal yeah. and crushing the cans or whatever. But yeah. instead, we get this really fun song mm-hmm. about Willy's Wonderland that's got all of the kind of upbeat like mm-hmm. 80s synth kind sure. of charge to right. it yeah. and then cage delivering this insane core like dance choreography where his hair is whipping all over the place and he's doing all this stuff with his hands and yeah. his yeah. face or whatever and he's playing the shit out of that pinball machine yeah. maybe this is just me and maybe this is gonna end up being some kind of freudian slip type of situation but it looked to me like and i would love to ask ask him nick cage come on the show uh it looked like he was fucking that pinball machine. <laughs> like the way that he well, plays yeah, it and all of those scenes, it looks like in his mind as an actor, his choice love. was yeah. that I want it to look like I am connecting with yeah. this pinball machine yeah. in a sexual way. Well, right. And right there, like even as you talk about it, I mean, I don't want to pretend like this film has more depth than I than is it. But <laughs> Actually, I mean, there's a lot of subtext. To well, the there pinball. is something about his connection with mechanics, right? I mean, like he lo- has his yeah. car he loves. He has this pinball machine that he's obviously developed a connection with these animatronics Fell that he love with it. understands how to rip them apart very quickly. You know, like there's something in there about this character. Now, you know, He's left mysterious, right? We never get the explanation. As much as we get the satanic ritual backstory of how the animatronics went haywire. But and should then, I say that I loved that? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the townspeople backstory of this deal that they've made with them to kind of say, okay, we will bring you these sacrificial offerings. Just leave the rest of the town alone, right? Um, you know, all of that gets fleshed out as much as it needs to be, I guess. But you never get even the slightest hint of what brought Cage here. Why is it, you know, the janitor, I guess, the, this character. Why is the janitor there? Why was he coming through this? Wrong place at the wrong time. That's all we know. But, like, what drove him to that place? Had What had he done before? Had he been a custodian? Because he off, he knows his way around some cleaning fluids. The I mean, man this is, can clean. Yeah. David, if you're wishing for the Willy's Wonderland universe, like, upcoming, where we... I'm I'm waiting for this to cross janitor, over with better luck tomorrow. Universe. Han's going to show up in the next one, and then we're going to branch into the F not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I, I I came to the table. The hoping janitor joins the family. There you go. We could talk. We could talk about um, Cage's desire to accept almost any role. Uh, he's got a new one coming out. Pig. Yeah, uh, it, it'll be in limited release. I don't think it'll come to our town right. in the near, near future. So that might be a few weeks away. But I, I see this trailer and I start reading some articles about this film and I'm like, fuck, the guy's back. Like in a legitimate film doing yeah. a legitimate performance. You know, if you know, we'll see the film and that we can have our own opinions. Are but you saying this film is illegitimate? I'm saying that Cage making four films a year, most of them going, not most of them, a, a segment of them going straight to video, straight to international, where where they don't tend to always make this 
box office that he was making at mm-hmm. the heights of his box office powers. Yeah. Uh, which we explored a little bit of in episode 100 with Face Off. Yeah. Uh, did he... I guess national did National Treasure make more money? See, these, there's National always, Treasure made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, there's always these dances throughout this otherwise very yeah. strange career with with financial success, which keeps him able to make you know more movies, of course. But this one, I don't know how on paper anyone thought it was a good idea with the budget that they had. To execute well, he did. It. I, I mean, know. so that yeah. I, I I I'll throw a wrench in the machine you've built here. Where I, don't like I agree, take. I think there are films, and I haven't watched all of them. Like you said, like the last decade of Cage films, it's great to know that there's so much material for us for all of these. You know, episode two hundred, episode two fifty. You know, like we, we will be able to do these in perpetuity, folks, because of this man. But I think in there there has to be the films where it's just. Somebody sends him a script and says, we'll pay you a million dollars to be in Croatia, you know, July through August. Will you come do this? And he does it because he wants a million dollars and he doesn't really give a shit and he can do it in his sleep or whatever. This one, it sounds like based on the story, you know, the the version that I had heard and what Carlos kind of elaborated on. This was almost a passion project. He read this script. He liked it. It didn't have financial backing. He went out and actually used his you know status to be able to pull some money towards it with five million being the entire budget i don't know how much of that was his salary or what you know what went into it but this doesn't feel like a oh i need a payday this feels to me like i like this crazy concept i want to be part of this crazy concept that's how i see this film in his i just found it not to be as successful as i guess he had hoped i mean of course that he'd hoped it would be but see i think i think that i think that comes from you Possibly wanting it to be more than it is because this is a very explicit '80s B movie homage. And if I you just go, don't think it's if, done well. And if you go back and watch things like Chopping Mall sure. or stuff like that, I mean, right. uh, Chopping Mall, I think being a pretty close yeah, like, cousin example. of this mm-hmm. one, you know, uh, especially with the security robot like thing yeah. being what yeah. that movie is about. I think that I think this movie did everything that it wanted to exactly how it wanted to. I don't think that anything that we view as shortcomings is an actual shortcoming because I think that that would be putting intention in intention upon the creators of this film yeah. that they did not I mean, have. I don't think you could make a deeper film out of this. Like I think I think it would be tough to it's such a goofy premise. Like I think the best no, you can you, do with prob- it is something that, right. that tries to be campy. If which you throw it is. more money into it, then what are you going to get out of that? Some CGI characters, animatronic yeah, characters nothing. that act a little. So I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, there's deficiencies kind of all the way through the story, the script, all of it. And now listen, listen, I fully, wholeheartedly accept that Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> I'm glad that we're going to talk about any new release that he ever, ever does. Mm-hmm. But if we do that, we are bound to see. You roll the dice that often, you're going to see Absolutely. some that are subpar. Hey. And this is firmly, in my opinion, in that camp of the Nicholas Cage canon. And I'm happy that you don't love this film. For what you know, like I can see this as a film where I. You said earlier you wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I would say I wouldn't recommend it to just anybody. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who I didn't know already had the inclination to like this sort of thing. Somebody who likes 80s horror, somebody who likes Nicolas Cage, somebody who likes a film that's kind of a, you know, this is a smooth brain film. It's a midnight movie. This is a, I don't really want to think too hard. Oh, did they do this? This premise? Oh, mm-hmm. that's silly. Okay, let's put it on. It's on yeah. Hulu. It's it's included in Hulu. I yeah. don't have to pay. The, oh, sure. Okay, yeah. put it on. Yeah, that's this could be a party movie. 
This, I right? think this, this is a party this would movie. would be a great party, party movie. movie. This is an officially sanctioned <laughs> beer and a movie party movie. This would be a great party Because this would be one you'd look over every once in a while and you're like, what, what is he fighting fuck? that thing? Wait, is he dancing with that a toilet? Machine? What's going on oh, with that? Oh, now that it didn't die and she's setting fire to the car. It's just dumb. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the only thing that I will agree with you being dumb in this film, the only thing about this movie that is dumb is that... The guy who owns Willy's Wonderland and the mechanic sent Cage there, knowing full well he would not survive the night. Yet still yet brought, brought his the car. car. Now that I perfect, okay, like you, you got it. I had the same thing. I'm like, why would they bring the car? They, they, they know no they're intention. mopping up his corpse. They're convinced he's dead. They yeah, think the they are plan has sure gone. that he's yeah. dead when they get there. Uh, and now, which and that like that, but I maybe really, that 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 speaks to like honest folk out in the country just have such principles <laughs> like know. even if they do sacrificial the offerings yeah. they're gonna yeah they're 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 men of their word if nothing else <laughs> we've uh, talked about this movie way too much for me to <laughs> say what i'm about to say which is that's not the only dumb thing in the film oh, but well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave mean, it there for sure <laughs> i'll leave <laughs> but, it there. But, but that was one that i found particularly funny and that i actually liked about it like yeah. <laughs> i mean it is dumb but it came but it's so dumb it came well it back allows around. him to drive right off <laughs> yeah so. now exactly. when he Hold opens on. the door and the orphan gets in the car and he the hands orphan. her the thing she's right she's yeah. an orphan I mean, at the beginning which i do have okay you know using Freebird, which is explicitly oh, so about good. somebody leaving and not going with the person and the, have it be about a scene where the person goes with them they that had I didn't just love. enough money for Freebird Freebird was on discount that day <laughs> no I bet that cost a lot of money um no, that was probably four million out of the five. Probably. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about how much it cost Kevin Smith to license uh, the song "Tusk" for the film "Tusk." It was a we quarter million about, dollars. Yeah. We might to, talk about soundtrack and finances uh, in our second half. Yeah, we might. Yeah. Um, now, I did have one legitimate complaint about this that brought it from like a what? If it was a three out of four, if it was uh, if I gave it a three out of four star, maybe I would have given it a three and a half or something. Mm-hmm. There is a disturbing amount of lens flare mm. in this film. There's some very weird lighting choices that I that I didn't care for stylistically, but certainly not enough for me to uh, be upset about it. I'm very excited to buy a Willy's Wonderland shirt. Uh, I hope wow. I hope punch soda is a real thing that I can I purchase Googled at it. some it's, point. It's not, it's not right not now. Nobody's released it uh, yet. Yeah. Nobody's done it yet, but I hope someday sure that it is. Sure, there's a brewery out there that's uh, looking to do a punch. I don't. Uh, I don't think one customer would know what the fuck they're trying to talk about if they did a punch uh, thing. But Maybe not. It depends. I mean, it would have to be. You a saw brewery Willy's Wonderland, all, right? Yeah, it would have to be a brewery <laughs> that's already inclined to do that, like yeah. Nuasis Brewing doing like a metal beer the way Brash does. Yeah, mm, not right. really their clientele. Right, right. No, you know you, what I you'd mean? Need, you'd need to have a very specific kind of yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have to have a specific audience to know that your audience has probably seen that right. movie. Uh, but I mean, overall, fun movie. Yeah. I and I and I do think that I do think that in these situations. First of all, I think Nick Cage knows exactly who he is now. Like, wh- what he has become as an actor and where he fits in in the landscape mm-hmm. of film and pop culture, I think he's aware. Yeah. And he's like, all right, fucking him down. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that something like this, he really genuinely sees as an artistic challenge. Like, I think that we can dismiss this movie for being silly and having a ridiculous premise and all of the We can downplay it and try to delegitimize it all we want but i do think that nicholas cage is a genuine dude who when he takes these roles you know 
genuinely thinks like that he's challenging himself as an actor to try to maybe he thinks it is elevating a project well, that maybe at the very you know, least i i i mean i certainly in this one because i mean it's a he's film making, with no speaking again as we no started dialogue. out making bold choices committing to those choices mm-hmm. seeing them through and even if you don't love the the outcome you have to at least give him the credit for okay he just he totally put himself into this role invested in what what he was doing and saw it through, and so you know I, I, that that is part of why he is uh, as important a figure to us as he has become. Well yep. said, well said. Yeah. Now, is this beer going to be as important a figure to us? <laughs> did you did you talk about the second one already? No. Okay. So no, there was a second listeners one who who were there was a little Easter egg in there. You probably heard a can open, but I did open a second one uh, d- during the course of that first segment. So we started out with the brewing project one. I actually didn't get any of that. Second okay, one. here there's still some. Uh, the brewing project one, not much, because Joe handed it back, and I thought you had some. Oh, I uh, the the, ca- the cans are identical. It was my bad. No, that's what I, right. I was. My bad. Um, so. The, the Brewing Project one, I thought was rather good. I did too. Uh, it had, uh, to me, like a little bit of a tropical kind of hop character to it mm-hmm. that that was getting like a tiny bit of maybe pineapple in there. Um, really nice, kind of soft, hazy IPA. The second one is from, is it Riverlands? Riverlands Brewing from St. Charles, Illinois. Okay. Um, First I, time on the show. Yes. Welcome. First timer. Yeah. Um, I like it as well. It's not quite as juicy. I, I didn't think in the flavor profile as I was getting with uh, the first one, but um, but still very drinkable. Yeah, they were both drinkable as hell. Um, since I had both. at one point both of them Almost side like by a side. Smoky note in the second one. Did you get that? They were they were different, which yeah. I I enjoyed. They poured very similar. Uh, the can, like I said, looks almost identical. You have to kind of search yeah. for that brewery's logo that is front and center. This that you know for that can. Both were great. Uh, my question: I, I I taste smoky. I'm not. I didn't identify with yeah. that. But I would. I, I might. Did you taste any kind of base recipe similarities between the two? They're definitely in the same realm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can understand yeah. how they're part of the same series. I was going to say there wasn't a lot of difference between the two. No, it when wasn't I was like worlds of difference. No. But, but like I said, with the first one, I got a slightly more kind of juicy tropical thing. The mm-hmm. second one, not as much. And then that hint of, and I don't even know if that's right, but it, it, it almost like, you know, just like a very slight smokiness mm-hmm. the, the, in there. For me, the Brewing Project one had a certain maltiness up front okay but then had a tropical kind of finish yeah it was a very interesting kind of like right away like mm, i don't know and then like wait a second this is sitting very yeah. nice on my palate the other one i mean i i only had the one sip Little of sip, and i yeah. should have tried to cleanse That's my palate right. in some way first but the second one uh, the river one from riverlands to me it felt a little cleaner i didn't get any okay. of that kind of smokiness but Good. it was like a cleaner more crisp as opposed to all of the maltiness, the malt, that and all that f- tropical hop okay. happenings with the brewing project one, it was uh, yeah. it, it was uh, to me the Riverlands one was a little more subtle, I guess is what I'm saying. Right on. Well, maybe in the second half um, we'll we'll open two simultaneously. We all have two glasses, right? And we can uh, maybe pour them side by side, so you can maybe sip back and forth a little bit more. This, Love it. This one was more sequential, so. And our second Nicholas Cage film. 
coming That's up. Right. Episode 150, folks. We are here, back in the cage, ready to look at another very important film in the Maybe we can convince Joe this one's good. Yeah, we'll see. He might not even need convincing, but we'll find out here soon. Maybe I do. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. What we're going to find out for sure is whether or not we we continue liking these things we don't say beers, because I have two more ready to go. As I said uh, in in the last half, uh, as we were ending, I think we'll we'll go ahead and pour these side by side so that we can kind of sip from them. Um, One of the ones we're going to do here is from Maplewood. Brewing. They're out of Chicago, Illinois, on Maplewood Avenue, appropriately enough. It is billed as an India Pale Ale, so they're not even saying it's a hazy. Um, it is listed as being exactly 6%. doesn't give me any of the hops on the can, so I'm just going to go based on that. And then this other one that I'm going to go ahead and crack open is from Old Irving Brewing Company uh, from... Uh, Chicago, Illinois as well, so two two Chicago-based ones. And this one is billed as a hazy IPA, still at 6%, um, but again, another entry in the Things We Don't Say series. So we'll be having the uh, Maplewood and the uh, Old Irving side by side. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Who's synopsizing? Okay, so we picked our second Nicolas Cage film from his vast, vast canon last week on After Hours. Patreon.com slash Movie Podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week, and you bet your sweet ass I'm posting them on time these days. That was a fun episode. That's right, they're coming out And your your wife, Kylie, of course, who guessed it on last week's episode, joined Joined us us, and got to watch all of that fun. Talked about Too Hot to Handle. How we came up with Valley Girl from 1983 which was really uh, Nicolas Cage's... Kylie was responsible for that decision, actually. She was the one that pulled... Uh, <laughs> pulled a fast one on us? I don't know. She sure did, and she was furious. Fast <laughs> and a furious one. Yeah. Now, this is 1983, so this is a, a year after Breakfast Club, a year after Risky Business, uh, the same year as oh no another one a big one that was kind of in this canon of the early eighties sex romp sex you know relationship yeah. fueled well just a bit after Fast Times at Ridgemont High another, right was that eighty that was eighty one I think yeah two years after yeah, yeah I think you're right yeah uh, one year prior to Sixteen Candles and although that film hadn't aged as well maybe as some of others John Hughes films it fucking is on I the don't know if any of them it's on them. the uh, Mount Rushmore for me of those films that mattered, you know, uh, these sexy, funny, ditzy eighties comedies. I don't know if I've ever seen Sixteen Candles. Yeah, we might need to do a Hughes episode. I've seen at Breakfast some point. Club. <clears throat> now, in the canon of Nicolas Cage, he had appeared, and we talked about this in episode one hundred. He had a bit part in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, you mean but, Nicolas Coppola? That's, that's right, right. And he. Uh, he this is kind of a star turning or a piece in the star turning of Nicolas Cage, really advancing his career into in, into a larger area. Uh, I would say this, and then I can't remember what year Raising Arizona came out, 88? 
I think that was 86. Maybe. Okay. So, and, and then in there as well was uh, Moonstruck, I think, was, you know, prior to... 87 for yeah. Raising Arizona. We were, we were throwing darts at it. We were getting close. Yeah. Is it, the, it, both those were 87, Moonstruck and Raising mm-hmm. Arizona. Was the Lynch movie in the 90s? That was 90. Wild at Heart, Wild right? at Heart, yeah. So this is a film that I did not see while I was watching all of those other ones. Skipped it. Can't tell you why. I'm sure I saw the trailer while I was at, you know. I think I saw it at Alamo a couple of years back for the first time. Okay. Okay. Um, but I know talking to friends of mine that would have been the same age and going to see these kinds of movies in the theater, that Valley Girl has a special place in their heart. So I was eager to watch it for the first time. I did not pre-agree to synopsize this film, so don't look at me. <laughs> okay. And I don't know if you specified, but the way we picked this movie was we drew it out of a hat. That's right. So there, each each of us came to that After Hours with a film that we thought could be the should, second Nick Cage Should film. we all say what our picks were? Nah, I think people could listen last week and... Did we say what we all... Okay, I think we I think we did either. on After Hours. Okay, say. yeah. On Go hours. listen to that shit. Five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but yes, yeah, so the, and I'll just, you know, full disclosure, it was mine that, that picked. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this, similar to Joe, I had never seen this film, in its entirety at least. I had seen bits and pieces of it on cable over the years. Um, th- there were a few scenes that I kind of remember. I remember the house party scene um, towards the beginning of the film. I remember them driving around uh, Los Angeles just, you know, I guess sort of after that scene. So th- there were definite parts that I had locked into, but don't think I had ever sat down and watched the film from the beginning to end. And this is his first lead role in a feature film, yeah. right? I mean, and and uh, as Carlos pointed out, this is his first one where he was billed as Nicolas Cage, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he was Nicolas Coppola for Fast Times. Got heckled. And and I think he had done a pilot also that under the Nicolas Coppola name that never really aired. But other than that, then this is kind of like here and then shortly thereafter, um, you know, going into, uh, you know, a, a bunch of the films that, right. that Joe was talking about. So, um, so here, you know, I feel like it, it would be important to go back at some point and look at this first lead role in a feature film that he did um i'll synopsize briefly i mean the, the was basic, that your main reason for bringing it to yeah, the party okay. it is and again knowing that it was this film that sure. was somewhat celebrated teen comedy of the early 80s an era that i have affection for and many of the films you've just named joe are ones that i at various times have loved or maybe developed more complicated relationships with later. So yeah, I felt like it was a little bit of a gap and so it would help fill this gap and also be part of our, you know, cage-a-thon. So what's it about? Um, So now the film, I I saw various sources that said that it was sort of using Romeo and Juliet as its base material. I think that's a huge stretch. Uh, (laughs) But I could see why. Well, you have two characters from different worlds, right? You have... Um, the, the, uh, gosh, I'm going to blank on her name, Julie, right? Who is the Deborah Foreman character here, who is a valley girl, right? She lives in the valley, which is a little bit more upper class-ish. Even though her parents aren't really 
that way, I mean, at least in a... They see, they are seemingly successful small business owners. Yeah, it seems like a pretty small mom-and-pop kind of health food restaurant, but it, whatever. Hey, you know, she, hey, she, the I, profit she, margins on food are not I was bad struck, if you but can I, really but get it going. Her credits Watching go this, through that slide credit card machine just like everybody else's. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes, there is a great shopping montage at the beginning at of the, the film mall. that shows you how excited... So I want to talk about that later. But, you know, I was expecting more of a preppy, like them to be wearing polo shirts. You never and heard to be, the song that? Valley Girl? Yeah. I feel yeah. like that tells you everything you need to know. They just talk funny. They talk funny, right? But it, but but here it's definitely a class thing. Sure, right? yeah. There's oh, definitely yeah, yeah, presenters. Yeah, right? I mean, they are, but they're not like... Preppier kids that have unlimited budgets to go shopping, and the yeah. guys especially are the clothes whores here. And yeah, this, yeah. Interestingly, with right. the popped polo knit oh shirts and the... That's right. So you have Julie, who's from that valley straight world. Out of, straight out of 80s asshole, you know, what, what you'd see in the dictionary. Right. Bright, bright colors. Yes. Pastels. And she's living that life and has her boyfriend Tommy who all the other girls are jealous of you know they they think Tommy is so cute and they're so happy they're together but uh lo, lo and behold here comes Randy the Nicolas Cage character who's a little bit more urban he's a right? poke he is in yeah. a sense I mean he's at Plimsoll shows the version of punk that this film puts forward is, is insane very very uh, light. muted light yeah. yeah no it is it's, it's more like new wave a, it's more uh, power pop new wave it's like kindergarten punk you know? yeah but the bars they go to are really really dingy well and actually that bar that they shoot those scenes in is now the viper room Understood. which is the johnny but Depp i'm talking about the, the yeah. mise-en-scene yeah. Of, right. of the absolutely of the difference well, between these hair two is, cultures you know is definitely it's spiked up a bit right and his friend's hair it's has some the dye car's not and, as nice and they go to grungy right. bars yeah so they, they're more the working class punks and then you have There's the so valley preppies in his hair, though. yeah i mean <laughs> and such an uh what's the word i'm looking for uh fabricated right Right, look of um, punkedness, carelessness. Of yeah, this, you know, right. A very like so quaffed version of that. Yes, right. Um, which actually even punks were kind of. But then oh, you know that's sure. I mean, don't get uh, me started. <laughs> but but the basic idea is you have these two characters from different worlds, quote unquote, who find each other. The Montagues and the, the, the Montagues <laughs> and the Capulets um, <laughs> so find cool. interest in each other and. Really, you know, it's the story of uh, Julie having to kind of resist the trappings of her environment, right? Because as soon as she hooks up with Randy, her friends are, oh, why would you be with this guy? And, you know, like, oh, he, gross. He's, why would you? he's nowhere near as cool as, as Tommy. Tommy's going to look You'll so good. You'll never get another Val guy again. Right. So, you know, and her having to kind of resist that. While having the most understanding and kind parents that I could have the ever imagined, parent lottery. Yeah, these people. Even though her mom is roughly her age. Well, I was gonna uh, say there, there's some weird <laughs> casting here. Michael really Bowen is. is about the same age as Colleen Camp, who is play. So Colleen Camp is playing the mother of Julie, and Tommy, her boyfriend. They're about the same age. So yeah, th- I think yeah. Colleen Camp was like 30. Yeah. when this movie and Michael was made. Bowen was yeah. about 30 when yeah. this movie was made. Yeah. Um, insane a lot of the rest of them were closer to 20 and Nick Cage is like legit 19 he's 19 yeah Yeah. so even though he does not really look it and he doesn't look younger but it's an interesting note to say this is the birth of a formula that now when we're casting it these kinds of teen romantic comedies uh, opposite side of the tracks we could we could go through and play a game where we come up with some that have happened in the 2010s 2020s Mm mm-hmm 
the formula is so entrenched. We're watching pre-formula here. That's what I think makes this film a little interesting. Yeah. Or early formula. Yeah, definitely early. Because Breakfast Club was formula setting in the truest sense. (coughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're right, Joe, that we're, we're seeing a film that was one of the first to do this in that kind of teen comedy milieu that uh, that became a little bit more, you know, routinized mm-hmm. over the years. Um, and we're seeing one of our favorite actors doing that in a, in a role that I think he does really well. Uh, I, I found him very charming. It was, it was fun to see what... It has its goofy moments, but it's a fairly straightforward kind of performance, at least for the character, right? I mean, like, I don't think this isn't Nick Cage at a point where he's flexing his Nick Cageiness yet. Although there's some hints. Although there is one okay. scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, I T- mean, tell me what what it, what is the one when where she breaks up with him and he goes off uh-huh. on a tear. Okay, yeah, and he's like sure, falling yeah, around. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this, fucking this. Yeah. yeah, no, actually, not that part. That's not the part I'm no, talking I'm about. Talking about when he's. Walking when he's around. drunk? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That's not the part I was talking about. The part I was talking about was when... There's two parts. When he's, um, he's appearing as different characters. Like when he's giving them their food at their oh, car, yes, at the drive-in yes. and stuff. He, he, especially that scene or whatever, he's like really kind of like doing that. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, but, it, but it plays into the goofy comedy piece of it, and it doesn't feel so much like a standout no, like, for sure. move and, and, on his part. And at the time... We wouldn't have looked at it that way. Yeah. But knowing what we know about him you now. You can see the seeds you're like, oh, of that. Yeah. I can see his like infatuation with this expressionistic kind of acting. Yeah. And this was a moment where uh, Martha Coolidge kind of gave him a little more license to go there. Right. Where he got to kind of uh, play into his instincts and play into his kind of like wildest desires as an actor. Yeah. And so it's just, it's so fun to watch that part because it's this little seed of who he will become later when he has a blank check to do whatever he wants. I agree you know with what that. I mean? And that, it's, that's right. It's, and it's exciting. It's exciting to see that for me. I mean, yeah. like, because I'm like, oh, fucking yeah. there it is right there, yeah. you know? And it, but, and it's so brief too. And it like, it doesn't really take away or distract or anything like that, but it, yeah, it's just like you know, um, it's kind of like if you're watching a band that isn't like super like shredder guitar heavy, but then it just at, at a little turnaround you get a like a little a little yeah. lick in there, you yeah. know, you get a little a little dash of flash. I think you're right. I, th- I, I and think that's, that's how I felt, especially in the drive-in. Scene that's that's the right way to think about it. Yeah, and 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 I think as Joe was saying, also in the in the freak out th- yeah. there moment there. So yes, we get hints of it. We get the little like this guy could, th- but who would have known then? You know what I mean? And it doesn't literally nobody. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't stand out in a way that makes it seem outside the film in any way. Not where, at all. Where some of his performances have gone over the years, where you think like, oh my god, where is this coming from? Yeah. Um, Which is even more impressive. Bad I Lieutenant, think. right? That, I think that 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 may be an apex still for me. But <laughs> yeah. um, but but here, you know, you get that, and you get it married with. I think you know it's interesting. Like not a lot of these other performers have really gone on to have huge careers. I mean, Deborah Foreman seems to have continued making things throughout the year, but I don't think ever really took off in a huge way. Go ahead. The one girl that gets with her boyfriend 
where we have one of the gratuitous yeah. breast shots yeah. in the film, which we could talk about because that's which were contractually obligated right. breast shots. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't care, you, like, we don't care. We don't care what, like, like really. Yes. When, when Martha Coolidge signed on to do it, they said the producers said that we will need at least four scenes where breasts are bared. Because they felt it would be a much better, it would play better to. Well, they male. saw what Porky's had made, yes, and they were right. trying to do something right. similar. Isn't that amazing? So yeah. one of them is the is Pee Wee's girlfriend from Elizabeth Pee Wee's Big Adventure. No, so true. do not tell me that there weren't some stars that erupted. And, and from as this a film. voice actor, she's had a stellar career. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. She she she's one of the standouts here. Um and and she's she's really not good. a household name though. No, of course not. No, she's Pee Wee's no. girlfriend. No, and that's no nobody's totally name. taken off. But it, but I think all of them. Colin kind Camp of, is more. I think. Yeah, and and she's kind of you know had had uh, well pre prior to this she kind of had you know uh, her exploitation career and then but then goes on to be in Clue, sure. which I think is where you get the kind of <clears throat> yeah the, the, it, cult it, status for her. Definitely, David. Definitely. It was a good choice for our. Nick Can- or Nicholas Cage, I almost said Nick Cannon, I, whatever. Yeah, oh, we could do that. Yeah. Back in the cage. Our Nicholas Cage studies here. His this is his star making film in as much as it was. Mm-hmm. He went on to you know continue getting great roles and doing some of these great performances that he's kind of known for at the beginning of his career. And if we get to 200, 250, 300, I know that we'll discuss every single one someday. We're not doing the movie three hundred. <laughs> this film, I think there's a reason why, uh, as such a digestor of the 80s uh, teen comedy and the, and the 80s sex comedy, given exactly when I grew up and when I was trying to sneak watching something through a blurry cable you know, satellite thing, yeah. there's a reason why I didn't see this. It's a, there's a reason why I think this is a, a minor film in the 80s teen comedy pantheon. Yeah. You know, pantheon. It, it's not that good. No, no one has stakes in this movie. There's, there's no one with real problems in this movie. This is Nic- a rom-com. I, but I also strongly disagree. Well, I, first of all, I knew that that was going to be a hostile audience because A, David likes everything, and B, <laughs> Carlos's The Dagger in His Heart is a good romantic comedy. So I, and I know that you're going to probably have really enjoyed this. I, I found it I very, far. very boring. It lacked all of the humor of a Hughes film. There was no, there were attempts at humor. The dad smoking a joint in the bathroom. The I mean, I could we could go on and on, but they just Please all do. they all fell flat. It 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 huh. there wasn't a lot here, and there wasn't really any essential. I can tell you what they wanted us the to for the conflict to be, but there was no conflict because the resolution was so quick and gimmicky and. Well, I'm talking about when they come to the dance and all of a sudden everything that she said didn't matter because he, she had showed up. He, I'm sorry, he had showed up to the dance. Um, cute film. Glad I saw it. Definitely want to see Nicolas Cage's kind of star-making turn, but I don't think that I'll recommend this one to you know anyone that's got an interest in these kinds of films. They're sharpening their knives. That's what this long pause I is. I just don't... Get it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, one thing I will say is, and you've already kind of hinted at it, Joe, is like those John Hughes films have not aged as well as this film has to me. This film this still, film's more watchable today. This film than maybe still some of John has Hughes a sweetness films. to it. If you saw Sixteen Candles to today, you would hate it. 
Yeah, that I... Uh, it sounds like a challenge. Well, no, I'm saying if you had never seen it before, if you watched it for the first time today, you'd be like, yeah, this movie sucks. I think that we do 16 Scandals and have that conversation then. Yeah, quite But possibly. we can't because you've seen it and you have a fondness for it. <laughs> no, and there's like a, yeah, yeah. a sentimentality to your like nostalgia for it. But what I'm saying is... That like, does not make this film better or worse. It doesn't. Comparatively speaking, no, this film is good on its own. You did set it up. You set yourself up that way by saying, like, I'm going to judge this in the pantheon of okay, teen so because comedies. Because there were jokes the- that were told in 1984 that are no longer palatable or comfortable does not make Valley Girl better yeah, or I mean, worse. Now, do, I think it has to do with gender politics. Are we trying to talk about how the idea that this film's getting points because it navigated that in the past better than other films? No. It, it doesn't because that's not what's going to draw me to I the film. I don't think either of or us keep is me saying from the film. No, the, I'm just trying to argue. I'm not saying that, but but I am saying that you to, should believe what you say. When to you me, say it like if podcast. I'm thinking about these films of the '80s, oh, 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 that, that's that's weird. If I go back today and watch Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and decide that some of the things that they were talking about are no longer palatable today, uh-huh. then I will have that conversation. But it's not a. But it's not about like I think you're getting hung up on that. Some of those movies, like the what, comment that, that some what of those. Did you think I said that I didn't believe? You, no, you said <laughs> I'm just trying to argue, and I said no, you shouldn't just oh, try right, to argue. Okay, you that was a joke. I should the things that you're okay. trying to say. The, believe it. the things you're saying. No, no. Yeah, I think we're down a weird, weird rabbit hole. I mean, to me, I just sure. the, the film. And I'm the one that will say that we got to watch it through a 40s lens when we watch mm-hmm. a 40s film. We have to watch it through a black and white yeah. film if we watch a black and white film uh, lens. Yeah. This film in its lens is a lot like Summer Vacation, Summer Rental, the, the John Candy film we watched. Oh. It, it's hitting all the notes of what those film, what those movies are trying to be in that time period. I think that they're probably very similarly aged. There were studios that were able to do all kinds of kind of like smaller movies. Carlos, you and I argue about how it seems sad that they can't do that any longer. But sometimes those smaller films find a cult audience, and that cult audience can really appreciate them. I can't appreciate this as a much of, of, of anything outside of knowing that we did see Nicolas Cage's first performance or first star-making role. That I dig myself out of any hole that I put myself in. I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fine that you feel the way you do. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit stunned by it because I think that this is a totally pleasant film that I'm not going to argue. I with had that. not, I had not seen before, and I enjoyed heartily watching it on the couch with my wife as we kind of laughed about some of the little, the, the, some of the dialogue exchanges. I think are funny. Nick Cage himself, as we've talked about, the seeds of of who he would become, but also this kind of more muted version of him than what we've come to expect. The Valley Girl thing, the the bits of Valley Girl lingo that do make it into the film, which aren't as heavy as you would expect from a film called Valley Girl, right. or or a song called Valley Girl, for that matter. I, I can, read a thing that said that this is the film that made Tubular and Gab Me with a Spoon. The, the nationwide, like national, but they didn't even really use those terms much. Yeah, I mean, they did use some particular vernacular that said sure, like a lot. That yeah, I'm sure it was more regional pre this film. Yeah, because I mean, there wasn't internet and things like that to right. ubiquitize right. those kinds of slang. But for me, the real star of this film is the soundtrack, which, even though it isn't punk, it's good. Is good. It is good, solid new wave and power pop from front to back, including several great, well, two great scenes 
in what is now the Viper Room. I can't remember what the name of the club was at the time, where they have the Plimsolls playing, and you get to hear A Million Miles Away, and you get great to hear song. all these greats. And you get to um, hear, I, what, what's the band playing at the dance at the end? The uh, uh, Josie Cotton. Okay, yeah. Which, the, the, what, the song Johnny is Queer? or what? what Johnny is, is a Queer or something. Yeah. Is Johnny a Queer? Is Johnny, yeah, is Johnny yeah. Queer? Yeah. I don't know. Like, there's just that such... One, that one didn't age well. Uh, no, but the, well, I'm not, but Johnny, I think it, are you queer? Johnny, yeah. are you queer? I think, it, but I think it's a satirical song to a certain. Anyway, I found She's from this, Dallas the soundtrack so compelling, like from front to back. And there's music all throughout this film, which apparently I Great know, music. Joe, you've already teed it up a little well, bit. There's, uh, there's there were songs on the credits that don't appear the in the film because there was, was some yeah. financial problems after the credits had already been printed. And the producer was like, I don't we're care. Not we're not going to pay for that. <laughs> yeah. We're not paying for the songs that you think you were going to get. Here's your budget. Fix that. I think a minute minute work song was uh, substituted for a different song that they there were There is hoping. the minute work song. Yeah. Right. Who could right. it be now? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, to me, this was super enjoyable viewing on a whatever it was, Friday night, that we, we put this on and uh, and streamed it uh, to our couch where it was just... It was, it was great fun. And... No, I get, I get, I get where you're coming from. This isn't like a laugh a minute film, but it's a rom com. Rom coms aren't generally laugh a minute. It's like the balance between yeah. we're gonna have some laughs, we're gonna have some characters meeting each other and falling in love, we're gonna have some montages where we're gonna see them doing that. The com. I part, love the melt with you montage. Uh, so good. <laughs> uh, the com part is less important than the rom part in the equation in most rom coms. Yeah, I mean, in most rom coms, it's, it's about like, the chemistry. Yeah, the comedy part of it is more about just like enjoyable situations or like entertaining scenarios or things rather than it is about like full-blown comedy like hysterically laughing now obviously like there have been some people that have changed those types of ideas about a rom-com like Judd Apatow is a much more laugh a minute type of guy and things like 40 year old virgin or knocked up or whatever Um, but I just find it so interesting that you didn't feel like any of these characters had a motivation because Mm-mm. the social pressure that Julia is experiencing is, is a real thing. I mean like that. And it, I'm, I'm sure it was uh, more pronounced then than it is now because like, you know, like I said previously, the ubiquity of the internet has mm-hmm. made it so that more subcultures and crossing of subcultures and people that have these more, noticeable differences are much more accepting of one another to a certain degree where it wouldn't be as weird for like a punk to be dating a cheerleader or something like that. You Mm -hmm. know, like that's more commonplace now than it was back then. But back then the tribal clearly divided lines of like, these people are this over here. These people are, I mean, it's, it's like, actually I'm, Oh my god, I'm so fucking good at this. Uh, <laughs> 150 it, episodes in, folks. He's real it, good at this. It reminds me of 21 Jump Street. How whenever Channing uh, Tatum goes back to high school, he thinks he fucking knows everything about how right, it works. Right, and right. James, or, but it's James, all changed. Um, yeah. Dave Franco is like, "What's your fucking problem, dude? Like everybody's friends with everybody. I mean, and we see it in, in movies like Booksmart and like more." Uh, present day rom-coms where like everybody is kind of in the mix with everybody else play yeah Yeah. you know er, like the lines are so much more blurred now then the social pressure julie would have been feeling would have been really serious especially you know especially when you're talking about this guy who you have these very strong feelings for 
and going with your gut versus like literally losing all of your friends. I think like this, that, that is a huge great deal when you're point, in high school. Carlos, great point. That's a I huge think, deal. I think that has shifted. It has I, shifted. I think no, you're right. it has. 100%. I think Carlos is saying that contextually that that would have been real stakes. Yeah, it would have when felt I say like there is no stakes. real conflict. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. It would have been. I mean, and like you know, look, I'm. Her parents don't care. And if you want to do a Romeo and Juliet thing, it would be the parents okay, prohibiting but that, but her. But we already so, talked about what a stretch right, so that, that is. That's that's different. So now that's where loosely I, yeah. quote right. air quotes loosely based. So now it's the friend who cheated, not cheated, but would have cheated on Tommy with her until Tommy. Yeah, the, the, so they didn't have sex. No, I, I don't did. think so. No, no, they were they were headed that way, and then he she asked him if they were going to be together after that, and he said no. no. The way yeah. that I read it, because I feel like there was a cutaway during that scene where it went to like the main party. And yeah, to me, it, you think they had? Oh, you thought done that it. was post coital? Yeah, it seemed like Quick it happened, and then Poor we guy. came back, and then and and she was. Like, I'd have to review so, the so, evidence, but so I, I saw it like okay. Joe, where okay, they didn't okay. get to the deed, but so I so I think that's a very real thing, and I think that. This but movie. it's not presented in that way, Carlos. I, see, I disagree, there's though, because I talk, felt it. There's a small talk at the summer party where they flirt with the idea of setting her It is constant straight, throughout and this then movie. There's, Did you watch this movie? I swear to God, I did. <laughs> because oh. it is talked about a number yeah. of times. She I has mean, that she, long combo with her dad. With her how dad? long was the I'll Melt With You montage? Over how many days or about, dates? Or Oh, I bet oh, that was probably like a week. A week. A week. Yeah, so for a, a week, time. she led this, I guess, secret yeah. life because she had one her friends to know that he, she was quote-unquote slumming. Well, they knew, but they, they, knew. they just didn't like it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay, look. Well, hold on. I'm not done yet. I'm oh, not done yet. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> unleash. Unleash. Unleash uh, the Kraken. Oh, no. I'm just... I, I have points to make. Yeah. And that is that is a huge one. Um, especially since we've already talked about viewing these things through the lens of the time that they came out and all that kind of stuff. But another thing that I think this movie does really well is I think it's really good at building tension in certain moments. Mm. Or... Whatever kind of tension it may be, dramatic tension, sexual tension, like, mm-hmm. and it has these, I think Martha Coolidge really kind of, um, who, who directed this, um, if we didn't already state that. You, um, you mentioned it, but it's worth, it, it's worth noting. This was, uh, a, I think her first big feature film. I mean, she had done, feature. she had she done had, some smaller films. She had small one budget. film that had been released before this and she yeah. had another film that had been made before this and not released, but yeah. then was released the year after based on the success of this. Right. And she also directed, uh, an episode of psych guest starring John Cena. So yeah. She seems to have gone more into television she, lately, she but had, had a number of successful films after this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and it was written by Wayne Crawford and Andrew Lane, whoever the fuck they are that also produced it. But I think she's really good at building, uh, you know, suspense and, oh. and, and, and not, Gone. Real genius. I was just going to point Real out. Genius. I knew she directed another, Real yeah. Genius. There was another she, film. Oh, I, this movie's yeah. better. <laughs> there was another film I had loved of her she filmography, directed, and Real Genius is yeah. that. Film. Oh, you she, know what? She did, hold on, I'm almost done. Uh, <laughs> she's good at building suspense, not in an Alfred Hitchcock way, of where it's like scary or whatever. But like the scene where fucking Skip or whatever that guy's name was delivers the groceries, and you think he's about to fuck this girl. Oh, mom. the graduate subplot was great in this film. Uh, yeah, and and, and, and not overdone. Not overdone. Hinted, Total great payoff on the joke of incredible, yeah. like literally. Okay, so that scene was was very tense. It was uh, it made me uncomfortable when they were having the back and forth, and like she's literally trying to get him to say he's trying to bone, yeah. and he doesn't do it because right. he's like 
shot. I mean, I would that would be a yeah. weird situation. <laughs> right, right. But then, but yeah, that later was on, probably he, forty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Later, he shows up to the house or whatever, and we see it through a frosted glass. There is a naked woman in the shower, and Which he's like, I and, kind of assumed was the mom. And it's like it's a full blown home invasion. <laughs> this guy <laughs> yeah. has, has like perpetrated. Yeah. Uh, but then yeah, how does he, he explain that to the? It ends up being we the don't daughter. See it. We don't see it. But but yeah. Thank you for the fucking spoiler. <laughs> we see them in bed together, and we just see his hand like on this bare back, kind of going right, farther and farther right. south. And then someone comes in, and it's just a, a silhouette. We don't see who it is. We assume it's the daughter because mm-hmm. we assume that he's, you know, doing with the, the deal mom, with the mom. Yeah. Who in the original party scene where we get two great spark songs? Um, oh yeah. Uh, she, the daughter talks, or no, uh, the mom is telling her like friend or something that the daughter feels like they've been competing since her husband died yeah. because they're getting equal amounts of attention from young boys or something. So that kind of sets us up to think that she's yeah. like this cougar hunting down her daughter's friends. Yeah. But lo and behold, it's the daughter. Well, that she in bed she with. even whispers the plastics. I mean, like there, there's there's a clear mm. there's, interest I, in making this connection to the Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, for a subplot that amounts to nothing. Uh, yeah. That amounts to a pretty good little yeah. joke. I mean, yeah. that it's well, a C. It's a C th- plot. This it's not is, even a B. Plot. Yeah, right. This is a rom com, and that's part of the com in the rom. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he, it's got some. That's there's some rom there. Yeah, you know? there's some. Nicholas yeah. Cage rescues her from the prom. Rescues her from Tommy. Beats up Tommy while they're about Who's to a fun about to win the king and queen of the high school prom, yeah. and then instead Nicholas Cage, I guess, is the king of the high school prom now because he beat up the other one, and then they leave. He rescues her, and they do have another graduate homage yeah. with the two of them As in the back of the, away, of, the, yeah. of the limousine driving away. Mixed references there with different characters, but okay, going to the Valley Sheridan. Yeah, <laughs> the epitome of luxury. Yep. <laughs> Tommy got a room at the Valley Sheridan. Oh, oh she's gonna free. <laughs> How many cocks have you had in your oh, hand? Uh, Which happened over and over. <laughs> and over. Yeah. It was like they were, they were trying to be frankly, frankly sexual. Yeah. Which at the time, I'm sure. I'm, was... I'm surprised that you're as meh on this as you are, Joe. This is. I. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun. I watching feel like this movie. you. Ha- you might have just had a bad night when you watched this one. I feel like maybe go to this when you're in a good headspace. Did you drink and it you're... with a bad beer? Was no, yeah, I, I watched it. No, I watched it today at lunch. Oh, well, oh. there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have for lunch, nation. though? Come on. Yeah. Were you eating like some homemade po- chicken salad? It was delicious. Oh, okay. well, there. That's where you went. <laughs> oh, okay. Fuck it. All right. I well, hate I chicken salad. Should have had a pizza <laughs> and, a, and um, a grimy bar. Oh, and. Because because I said I wanted to talk about this earlier and to not disappoint the audience of leaving a, 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 a loose end on tied up or whatever the fuck i love 80s malls and 80s mall scenes and films i fucking love it it was the best part of wonder woman 1984 it's an amazing part of fast times at ridgemont high i incredible part of the legend billy jean yes which i've never seen um Oh, that's criminal. Uh, yeah, that is not. criminal. But, you live in the uh, city where it was filmed, my friend. Yeah, you, so I don't need to say it. I lived it. You've been I in lived the, it. You've been in the mall where it was I filmed. I have, yeah. The um, guy that owns Benjamin's stole uh, stole your Honda Elite scooter? You've lived it? I don't think so. Yeah, that did happen. Um, but anyway, uh, there, there's just... I felt this way, too, uh, when I was like in middle school and early high school, like growing up watching that 70s show, my whole life I've always longed for a place where you could show up unannounced 
And at least one of your friends is going to be there. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you're going to run into somebody, you know, and you're going to hang out and it doesn't need to be this pre-planned thing. It's just a kind of like, Hey, I got some free time. I'm going to go to this place. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And the eighties mall is like, at least the way it's portrayed in films, you know, just like the way is portrayed in that 70s show is like, yeah, it was just this place where everybody went and I don't know. It just had, and again, probably has a lot to do with, the romanticization of how it's portrayed in films, but it just, they just, it just has this energy to it where it's just like this place that everyone comes together and it's where things happen, you know? And the aesthetics of it, I enjoy a lot too. It's not far from true. You'd go on the weekend, your parents could drop you off. Usually you went with friends or made up a plan to meet. You'd get your orange Julius, you'd get your corn dog seven, and uh, I mean, I did that in middle school. It was a complete day. But I lived in yeah. Midland. There was fucking nothing else to do. Yeah, no, girls. I had many a mall outing when, when I was a preteen. Now I do it all teen. on PS3. <laughs> PS4. What's the we're, new on, we're on five now, buddy. PS5. Yeah. <laughs> Are we? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. They should, they're impossible to get, how but sad, we are on five. How sad am I? How sad yeah. am I that I don't even know that? All right. Well, I, you we're know, on the Xbox 10. Again, I, I'm sad that Joe is meh, but I. Mad? I, Meh, 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 oh, meh. I yeah, it was meh. I will say unequivocally. Whereas Willy's Wonderland, I'll say yes. It's for a specific kind of audience. You like the Nick Cage over the top. You like slasher films. You like eighty slasher films in particular. Mm-hmm. I think that's your jam. This one, I'm gonna say, if you go in with an open mind, I would recommend this to anybody. I mean, honestly, this is to me, this is a fun rom com with a great soundtrack. And a, and an early the earliest feature film leading performance from our patron saint Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, yeah. yeah. You sold me again. I 100% can say with absolute confidence that I liked this movie way more the second time than I did the first time. Oh, great! I'm I, glad to hear that. I, rem- I feel like this is going to be one that I will want to rewatch over time. The first time I remember seeing it, maybe there was just like a lot of like hype built up around it because it's Nick Cage's first film, and you know, whatever. But I remember being like, "Oh, that was cool." Mm-hmm. I liked it. But this but, time, but it felt it, more. This and maybe time. I didn't have this in depth of a conversation about it afterwards. Yeah, uh, that probably plays something into it too. Because now that I'm pointing out certain things that I liked about it. I'm like, yeah, it was was good. It was good. Like, yeah. Well, I'm glad you felt that way. People should, people should fucking watch this movie, man. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and people should definitely listen to the soundtrack and should appreciate that spark shows up in it twice, which is, they're on the soundtrack once. That's also another part of why I wanted this film because we had just watched the sparks brothers and I was excited to realize that, Oh, they had this. That will be on demand. Like, you know, can rent it on demand in just a couple of weeks. Okay. And I mean, I, that's one that I hope that we continue to champion because Mm -hmm. I think all three of us were on the the right side of that here movie. here yeah. Ang- absolutely angst in my pants is what makes it onto the soundtrack yes. but uh eaten by the monster of love is also <laughs> featured in the film yeah uh which i enjoyed a great deal um man but both both very sexual so songs expensive so there you go this is a fucking expensive record crazy stuff so uh, the, we we've Christ. talked through our cage uh, our cage match, our return to the cage, our w- w- whatever we're going to end up calling this thing. But um, we've also revisited a couple more of these things we don't say beers. 
And I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. We had two side-by-side as we did this segment. One was from Maplewood. The other one was Old Irving. And I, I have my feelings. I'll go ahead. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll spill, spill the beans here. I think I prefer slightly the uh, Old Irving. I think it had a little bit more, kind of like with the first half, it had a little bit more of a fruitiness to it. And I, I think that's coming from the hops. There's no additions of fruit or anything in there, but there's a little bit of a juiciness in there. Whereas with the Maplewood, I felt like I was getting a more pronounced bitterness, especially yeah. right at the beginning. They were going for it. Yeah. And I don't mind it. I mean, I think they're both good mm-hmm. beers, but I slightly prefer the Old Irving to the Maplewood as we're drinking these side by side. Yeah, it's difficult in a vertical like this where you're tasting six i guess by the time we finish the after hours after hours folks versions of the same beer in one sitting it's it's very natural to compare especially if you're drinking them two at a time i I hate to do that though because it's not the way the beers were intended to be enjoyed i enjoyed it is a departure which of these things doesn't belong of the four that we've had it is that um maple wood and I like, I, you know me, I like that heavy bitter up front. Yeah. So I, I thought it was a nice change of pace from the other three. All, all four of them I drink again mm. for all four different reasons. More than that, probably. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Maplewood, much more bitter up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I just drank that one, took a drink of my seltzer to cleanse my palate, mm-hmm. drank the other one by the brewery whose name I don't remember exactly. Old Irving, yeah. Old Irving. Um, and it struck the bitterness of the maple, the first one, Maplewood Brewing mm-hmm. Dynamic. Um, I haven't been drinking a lot over the last month, so <laughs> um, it struck me more so in doing really quick succession side by side. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, unlike with this film, when it comes to this beer, I'm on the same page as Joe. I like them for different reasons. Nice. Like it. Can't really complain about either See, one. We Although, find common ground. I folks. would I would probably have a harder time drinking an entire sixteen ounce can of the Maplewood okay. one. Because That's fair. the bitterness does kind of it's not a quality that I actively seek out. Yeah. But it's one that I can cope with yeah and that sometimes i enjoy and i think it's still in balance it's not it's not like an you know again when we're judging these against i think that's part of what's fun about a series like this where you have these different breweries kind of taking a base recipe and maybe tweaking it slightly or you know just brewing it with their own water supply and their own equipment that Mm -hmm. you're going to get these variations and it's kind of fun to just yeah you know try like when you're sampling the films of a great actor and you're seeing what is he going to bring to each performance. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little different. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. At the beginning of his career, he probably was fettered a little bit with how much I can show. I think chronologically in our cage rundown over the entirety of our, of our series here, it would be Vampire's Kiss would be next. Of the ones that we've seen. Of the ones that we've yep. seen and discussed. Yep. We yep. do that one back in episode 100. Vampire's Kiss... You know, that's another level. Yeah, it's another level, yeah. but it's him taking, you know, it's pretty interesting material, but elevating it. And I was glad to see that we are, like Carlos said, and that he was excited to really see uh, when when Cage is allowed to stretch it out a little bit, he takes it as far as he can. And I think that's why we love the man so much. He commits to these wacky ideas and he follows through with them. 
So while Willy's Wonderland wasn't anything I would recommend, uh-huh. Google that pinball machine scene because <laughs> it's going to be on some kind of... It is electric. And look, we, I'm 100% positive I said it over and over again and beat it into the ground. Uh, in our uh, first uh, cage match edition in episode 100, but truly, I very strongly believe this, acting is a series of choices that an artist makes. And say what you will about the man, but Nick Cage makes and commits to bold choices. And that's why even when he doesn't, even if it's a big whiff and, you know, he does the thing where, you know, you swing the bat at the baseball and then you do a 360 degree turn because you swung so hard and completely missed. Even when that happens, it's still exciting to watch. I think personally me, not representative of beer in a movie as a whole, <laughs> but I hey, I, I think we can all agree about that. We, we even 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 Joe, who mm-hmm. didn't like these films, you're not mad that he made them. No, no, of course. Are not. you mad at him? I'm not mad at anybody. Okay. <laughs> Nick Cage, come on the show. Um, but you know, we talked about some very interesting films. We talked about some very interesting beers. We drank some very interesting beers. Mm-hmm. Um, the party's really only getting started. It is really only getting started. And look, the conversation does not end here. You can get involved with it. You can join in on the conversation. Keep the conversation going with us by weighing in with all of your thoughts, opinions, hot takes, etc on social media all your favorite social media channels twitter beer movie show instagram at beer and movie facebook.com slash beer and movie tx beer and movie podcast.com is the website and as we've referenced several times and even dropped the url uh previous to this but we do have a patreon where we deliver a bonus episode every single week we do drink some beer and especially this week we'll probably drink a couple more of these things we don't say um series of beers and you know we'll talk about film a little bit maybe some things that we're watching that we don't talk about on the podcast but we also talk about a bunch of other things uh music television general life stuff um chicken salad recipes chicken salad recipes potentially even though i want no part of that (laughs) Um, but look patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast five dollars only can you believe that can you believe that we do all this extra for you the people for only five dollars a month a bonus episode every single week that's Um, less than one pour in a reputable brewery yes this is true um so definitely check that out. Um, we have a lot of fun over there. Uh, it's a good time. The, honestly, probably the spiciest and hottest of takes take place on the Patreon. Uh, so check that out. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. That really helps the al- algorithm do what it do. And, uh, you know, helps more people to find the show. Um, but this has been another uh, titillating episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Hey man, 23727 Sierra Vista. It's a party. It's going to be amazing. I've seen the chicks. I know about these things and I've got a feeling about this. It's going to be hot. I'm telling you. And it's in the valley. (laughs) 